This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 56th episode of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. One of the great opportunities I have is being able to connect and talk with a variety of people who are both passionate and determined to make a difference in the new view of safety. I was presented with a unique opportunity to get together with the authors of the new book, Critical Steps, Managing What Must Go Right in High-Risk Operations which is being published by CRC Press and due for release on November the 17th and it will be available on Amazon in hardback, paperback and Kindle version. The book was authored by Tony Mascara, Ron Farris and Jim Marinus. All of these fine gentlemen have a long history in human and organisational performance and careers in the military. When I started my own journey in the new view of safety, one of my early reads was Risk-Based Thinking by Tony himself. The theme of the book reflects the title. Critical steps happened every day at work and at home purposefully. Work does not happen otherwise. If an operation has the capacity to do work, then it has the capacity to do harm. Work is energy directed by human beings to create value. But people are imperfect. We make mistakes and sometimes we lose control of the work. Therefore work is the use of force under conditions of uncertainty. A critical step is a human action that will trigger immediate, irreversible and intolerable harm to an asset if that action or a preceding action is performed improperly. Whether the human action involves clicking on a link attached to an email message, walking down a flight of stairs with a newborn baby in arms, engaging the clutch on a gasoline-driven chainsaw, or administering a medication to a patient in hospital, all these satisfy the definition of what constitutes critical risks in our daily lives, professionally or personally. The overarching goal of managing critical steps is to maximise the success of people's performance in the workplace to create value for the organisation without losing control of built-in hazards necessary to create that value. This book is great. It is so pleasing to see more bodies of work in the new view of safety that are focused on the how and the when rather than the what and the why. Not only is the book great, we also had fun with Tony, Ron and Jim during the recording of the podcast. The 30-minute pod turned into nearly two hours of purposeful conversation. Today's pod is the first in a series with the three authors. I was inspired by Jim's virtual background and the backing soundtrack is called Rocky Mountain View as a fitting tribute to the three amigos. Please sit back and enjoy this conversation on Critical Steps with Tony, Ron, and Jim. What was the inspiration? What, what made you lose part of your lives 
to write a book. Because <laughs> book writing is not easy. No, no, no. Let me jump on that. Uh, uh, when, uh, when I was back at uh, the Institute of Nuclear Power Operations, back at EMPO here in Atlanta, uh, we started a, uh, a, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, EMPO documents, but uh, one of which is a good practice. We, I started a, a, a book, not a book, but a good practice, <laughs> a, a long article, if you will, on self-checking, you know, a human performance tool called self-checking. And this was back in 1990, 1991. And, and the question came up, when do you use self-checking? And so I started researching, okay, what are the occasions that you would want to use this technique, stop, think, act, review, and, uh, and uh, the idea of critical steps popped up during that discussion with the other nuclear power plants at the time. And uh, we didn't call it critical steps, but something similar. I can't even remember what we called it back then. And then uh, it came up again when uh, in the mid 1990s, uh, when we wrote uh, the principles document, excellence in human performance. And so back, this was back 1997, 98 timeframe. And we actually called it critical steps. And I started cogitating on that, and I found an article uh, uh, written by some, I think, consultants. I'm not sure who they were, but uh, it's been a while uh, on uh, um, hazardous steps and critical steps at the Pantex Nuclear Weapons Handling Facility in Texas. <laughs> and and I would guess, you know, you could you could anticipate that there are plenty of critical steps in handling nuclear weapons. And uh, and so I read their article and uh, that's that's how how I got the inspiration that, you know, maybe the, the nuclear industry could benefit from this idea that, you know, there are certain actions, human actions that if you don't do them right the first time, serious things can happen. And so that's where I got the idea. And then about, what, two years ago, Ron, I, mm -hmm. you know, there was, you know, I wrote the book, Risk-Based Thinking, and that was published by Routledge in 2018. That's right. And, I, and just as you said, writing a book is hard. And I told myself, I'm never going to write a book again. <laughs> so, but, but my passion for this topic, it was chapter, one of the chapters in Risk-Based Thinking, Critical Steps. And I thought... You know, we could we could add a lot more to that concept, and I, I I asked Ron, what do you think? And Ron's all for it, and and so I figured it would be a lot easier to write a book with with a co-author, and then uh, then I offered it to Jim. Said Jim, what do you think? And Jim was interested, so we added Jim to the to the mix, and then COVID happened, so COVID kind of made it easy for us to get together on a regular basis. <laughs> <clears throat> And I think more and more, this, this concept of collaborating, which if you think about it, is really at the heart of what we're trying to do with things like hop and learning teams. Mm -hmm. Isn't it a great idea? It makes so much sense. And, and Jim, you know, at first, when we started talking about critical steps and putting, putting uh, meat on the bones, this idea of conversations came up. And I kind of pushed back. Well, Jim would probably say I didn't really kind of. I really pushed back hard. <laughs> <laughs> not not hard. 
<laughs> but uh, Jim finally won that argument. It just made it made sense that conversations, you know, the relationships between people in the workplace is really important when it comes to getting things right the first time. Tony wanted to keep the book short and to go into conversations was going to add meat, I think. It was <laughs> yeah, originally, originally my goal was to keep the book less than 110 pages. And uh, what we end up with, Jim, about 165 or so. <laughs> so I kept pushing back. This is adding too many pages to our book. <laughs> Well, and you know, I, I should pitch in here a little bit too, that the inspiration for me, I had worked um, at uh, Impo with Tony uh, way back. He and I never got to work together, but we were there at the same time. And when I left, I followed some of the work that he and others were doing. And when I saw critical steps, I was uh, managing research operations at the time, and it aligned very well with what we were trying to do in the research community to define that box that research had to be conducted in. And then those things within that box that could create bad outcomes. And uh, when Tony asked me to uh, pitch in on this book, I said, great, because there's some translations still that would help folks. Mm -hmm. and I, so I was thrilled. And, uh, you know, for me to join in the team, I had uh, uh, taken Tony's risk-based thinking book and scribbled all over it, as many folks have done, I can imagine. And uh, the critical steps section was absolutely my favorite, along with the uh, risk important actions. And uh, and then, of course, controls, barriers, and safeguards. And so I, I resonated with the content. And when he asked me to, uh, you know, come on board and, and co-author, I thought, what a great opportunity to learn. Uh, you know, you think you're imparting wisdom. What you find is you spend a tremendous amount of time uh, studying so you can write. And uh, so we all had a big learning curve. Uh, you know, obviously learning from each other and then learning from other great authors in this area of managing risk and the high reliability and human performance. And uh, so what a great opportunity to uh, kind of add to that body of knowledge. And, and for me, the bigger pivotal moment really was when Tony said, I wanna make this a practical guide. Mm -hmm. I don't want this to be an academic exercise. And the moment he said that, he hooked me because um, I've read a lot of stuff. I really enjoyed reading it, but I always, in every one of those books with the thought, boy, wouldn't there be nice if there was a guide on how to implement? <laughs> oh, look, uh, and, gentlemen, uh, I, that's I what would, we tried to do. I, I would so agree. I, I, I'm getting so tired of the what and the why um, versus the how and the when. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I describe it. And yeah. uh, when, when uh, I caught up with Todd, the last time I saw him was in July 2019 in, in Auckland. It, it come down this way, just 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 for a meal. So we, so <laughs> the, <laughs> well, you know, you know, Todd. I, I could lure him with a with a with a box of Tim Tams, his favourite. <laughs> so we we got him Good. down here, and um, uh, he was teasing me about you know writing a book. And and I said, well, look, if 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 we do it, it's going to be about the practice of it. 
Right. You know, we've, we've got to move away from the theory mm-hmm. and the science, and we've got to move into the practice. And I can corroborate that because I've read your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it was it was really interesting. I mean, so so once again, we we personally felt that how could you write a book about learning teams without it being a learning team? <laughs> exactly. We just and Todd said he said it's either going to be the worst idea ever, and it's going to be terrible, or it's going to be it's going to be great. And it was interesting that that we ran a learning team to map out the framework for the book. I like it. Nice. And like the book it, yeah. was a 90% match to the framework. Mm-hmm. That's the way to do it. Uh, yeah, that, uh, ours was not, we didn't We didn't necessarily use a learning team, did we? It was more of a, a knockdown, drag out fight. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you, you just embraced, uh, we, we call it um, diversity of thought. You just um, embrace the fact that you had different views. And I think that's the key thing. And I think that's what readers like. They like to see different views. Mm-hmm. And they like to see I don't those know, different Tony, views. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think it was a knockdown drag out fight. We, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a hyperbole. We had, <laughs> we had strong opinions expressed with emotion. And respect. And respect. And respect. Definitely. And that's why we continued to write together, right? And that's why we're still friends. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Afterwards, yeah. There was a a lot to do to bring in some of the science that has good foundation, Mm -hmm. but in a practical way. And uh, those were the the points where the friction existed. Mm -hmm. But I think we worked through it very successfully. Oh, yeah. yeah, we had we had some conversations about some of the hyphenated words that you see in uh, uh, academic mm-hmm. uh, references, and uh, you know there was a couple of times I I just simply put my hand my foot down and said that book that word's not going in this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, well, the reason I mainly buy Kindle books is so I can look the word up while I'm reading it. <laughs> because half the stuff no I get, I can't, I look at it and go, what, what do they mean by this? Yeah. yeah. Well, we do have a glossary. We did We did put yeah. a glossary in the book. A big one. Yeah. A big yeah. one. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it is a new vocabulary for some people. And oh, so... look, it's, it's scary. It's, it's scary. But, but I think there is that desire of people to uh, uh, want to learn and want to do more. And I, I tip my hat to you guys because you have really addressed something that's not been spoken about very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think you balance up that sort of mapping it out for people, but also creating that narrative around it to help people understand. Because I would agree, Jim, what you're saying before about, you know, conversation drives context. Mm-hmm. Context is so important from a risk management and decision making, you know, perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, we we constantly see that the ability for people to reflect and see how they exist within the system is just becoming so more important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the uh, one of the the folks that endorsed our book, uh, Stephen Newell. From uh, National Safety Council, that's a, a non-government organization that's focused on safety 
and uh, he, they were formerly he was formerly with uh, ORC HSC, but now yes. they're part they're part they're part of uh, National Safety Council here in the United States. And and Steve has gone as far as say that this is the next level of safety. And so we we really we really feel that uh, there's some practical, useful information that workers can use in in real time. And this is going back to inspiration. <clears throat> this is information you can you can use with your children at home. Yeah. These concepts these concepts apply at home anywhere uh, where there's human activity. <laughs> so so you know if you do work whether it's for fun or for 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 pay uh, or as an employee uh, these concepts of critical steps and risk important actions apply and, and what i like is that you're evolving hop mm -hmm. as well which is which is really you know fascinating from well, my point of view yeah it's it's part and parcel to the risk perspective that we're trying to portray or yeah. pass on uh, through critical steps. One of the things that uh, I think Ron, I can't remember whether it was Ron or Jim, but uh, they added the idea of failing safely. And that was a part that was really, I hadn't done a lot of whole, whole lot of thinking about that, but, but if a critical step doesn't go right, what do you do? Mm -hmm. you know, how can you design your system or your technology uh, uh, to respond to those conditions, those situations where you know, what if you do make a mistake at a critical step? So that's an important aspect uh, to yeah. the book. As yeah, well. I had seen uh, Todd Coughlin up in uh, Toronto at uh, Human Performance Root Cause and Trending HPRCT Conference, which they've changed their name now. But uh, um, and he spoke quite a bit about this this concept of failing safely. And so one of the things Jim did for us in the book is he sent Todd the definition we we came to an agreement on what that definition was. And then we wrote quite a bit about it. And I give an example in the book and one of the stories of some workers that, that were dealing with this concept. And, and and I'll tell you, most folks going into a, any kind of pre-task pre discussion, what they call it a pre-job briefing or whatever it might be, um, there's a big assumption that two things. One, that people actually know what must actually go right, which is not true. <laughs> they they don't. You, if you asked everybody independently and they wrote it down, you'd be surprised where all the answers are. That's a problem, right? We need to bring everybody together in that discussion. Uh, and this is where conversations come in, uh, as Jim will allude to. And then the other one is, and if it doesn't, then what and by who? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, what, what are those discrete actions? Because that's not the moment in time you have time to have a discussion. So you have to have a mental model about how to fail safely and who will do what when it does fail. Mm -hmm. Because now we have either source of energy, some movement of mass or transmission of information that is out of control. It, it's out there causing damage to one of our assets. And the idea is that we have to put together some mental model as a team to handle that upset so you know at both ends of that discussion you've got what must go right and if it doesn't then what and what what i thought was most interesting kind of profound that we came to is this idea that you know there's literally a, a, a finite set of things that must go right in a task but there's an infinite possibility and combination of things that can go wrong and when you ask workers they'll go down all kinds of rabbit holes well 
if you bring them back to the concept of what must go right, and if it doesn't, then you narrow that focus down, right? And we got to narrow that focus down so you have a better discussion. Yeah, because it, I it, think it, that's... Go for it, I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. Well, no, because you, you, you're talking about a recipe for success. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I, I always say to people, is, is safety, is, is, is it an art form or is it a science? And I think for workers, it's actually an art form. Mm-hmm. Very much. Yeah, it's not a science. They don't they don't look at it as a, as a science. And, and, <laughs> and I think they're trying to be... Especially. Yeah, well, they're trying to be as effective and as efficient as they can be. And, and, as, and as we talked about before, they're trying to fight acceptance bias. They're trying to fight the fact that they're being told every day that if this goes wrong, this is going to be the outcome. But it doesn't go wrong often. One of the things, you know, go ahead, Jim, you were jumping in there. Well, what I wanted to say was that um, one of the breakthroughs for us was uh, when we were speaking this way uh, amongst ourselves, uh, towards the end of the book, we were sending uh, pre-print copies out for review, get input and see if we we're on a good track, etc. And I sent it to a, a few uh, operations leaders and the, the feedback we got from those folks is, well, one of them actually just came out and said, um, why are you calling this a safety book? This is an operations book. Mm-hmm. And that was a breakthrough. Um, yeah. Because in fact, one of the, the, the shortcomings of many of the, uh, the current works out there is that it is written from a safety perspective. And the the users, many in the field, uh, look at that and they go, well, you're only giving me part of this big picture. What's the rest of the story? And and what was pointed out to us by some of the reviewers is that we were writing that rest of the story. Uh, we're calling it an emphasis on safety, but in fact, we're describing operations. Right. And if you look at the the support for the operations community out there, it is very slim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of the conferences are not operations focused. Most of the publications are not operations focused. Um, and so being able to, to, to look at it from the perspective of the frontline worker, who is the integrator mm-hmm. of all of those aspects and write it such that it's understandable for them is where we were really trying to go. And and that's part of why we ended up talking conversations yeah. fairly significantly. Yeah, the operation is very, very important. In fact, the original title <clears throat> was uh, Critical Steps, Managing What Must Go Right. And CRC Press came back and they said, uh, what, you know, I think the first time we submitted it to them, it had in high-risk operations and we yep. took that off and decided well let's just let's keep this keep the title short you know what managing what must go right period so they said we need to add that in high-risk operations because yep. it is operations focused and by the way just so you know all three of us are former uh, navy nuclear operators you know two of us were on submarines and one of us was on a, an aircraft carrier 
and uh, but we all have operations uh, uh, in our in our blood. In the blood, yeah, it's inherent. And, and look, and I, and I think also putting that word high risk operations also broadens your um, search appeal when the mm-hmm. book gets released as well. Because yeah, yeah, that's what maybe that's find. what they. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 all it's all about the marketing, which is which is the objective. But but I think overall, I mean, you're, you're providing people, and once again, we we have this there's this constant argument about a tool versus a framework. And I think what you guys are doing is you're providing a framework for people. Mm-hmm. It's a way of thinking. It's, Correct. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not it's not a tool as such, um, and, and people can if they like take that thinking and then apply it in different ways and some of that systemization may end up as a tool but but i think sometimes this whole concept of systemization is is being touted as a dirty word but as humans we have to systemize we want to systemize absolutely yeah yeah we uh big picture of the book we we kind of worked our way into this as we were working on the book but Obviously, the overarching strategic purpose of the book was to manage critical steps, managing what must go right. But then we realized we had to break it down. You know, what are we really doing objective? What are the sub-objectives of accomplishing that? And one, you can't manage it unless you can identify it. So first you have to identify what are these opportunities, these critical steps. And there's some that are hidden. There are hidden critical steps. You know, we call those landmines. Uh-huh. And we talk about that in the, in the work, in the, in the book. But then the second objective is once you know what the critical steps are, how do, you, how do you exercise positive control over those? How do we exercise control over the transfer of energy, over the movement of matter? How do you control the transmission of, of information so that it accomplishes what the organization wants to accomplish, but at the same time avoid the harm if we lose control. And that was the third objective. The third objective was if we do lose control, and this goes back to Ron's point uh, of exercising uh, how to fail safely. And then and there was a fourth objective. We realized there was a fourth objective, which came up when we started t- talking about rolling it out. That's chapter eight. You know, How do you roll this out? Is, is we need to align the organization to support the first three objectives. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so the organization has to be set up and managers have to think like you're suggesting. It's, it's a way of thinking about the risk that everyday work poses to the things that are important to the organization, namely assets. What are the, and that's what an event is. An event is defined by the level of harm to an asset. And so uh, mm-hmm. the managers need to learn to think this way as well as the frontline workers. So going back um, to a, a point that Ron mentioned, I think it's pretty important um, from the, the design of the book uh, perspective. And, and that is that um, traditional high-risk operations uh, today usually spends time avoiding what could go wrong mm-hmm. yeah and um the the focus on uh managing day-to-day is in uh, anticipating what can go wrong uh managing to prevent it the focus on event investigation is on determining what went wrong um 
And the, the focus of procedure uh, emphasis is, is frequently uh, preventing failure. Um, but when you get right down to uh, the practice of critical steps, it takes the emphasis away from avoiding failure and puts it on ensuring success. Mm -hmm. The clarity that that helps provide in an operation can be significant. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things we did in the book here um, that I thought was extremely important is uh, we actually provide the readers the discrete uh, elements of risk important actions and critical steps in such a way that they recognize and how to define those within the task or the, or the evolution and 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 we build that framework so that they they know how to do it and very distinctly what differentiates those things because one of the things that that i have found out in the field and i know these guys have as well is that quite often folks will overdefine things to be critical steps and that the problem is is if everything's important then nothing's important or equally unimportant right and that that's such a bad place to be knowing that pivotal moment when these um the, when the evolution has a point of no return when you have that potential for a release in an uncontrolled manner due to human error either in the past or in the current is so so important um and then knowing the other thing that that i thought and we kind of came to it at the end we kind of having an epiphany and we were having a discussion about risk important actions and we recognized there was a term we were missing in the book and we added it and uh defined it well and then didn't change the whole lot in the book because we were on the uh, 11th hour of getting the book printed uh, but it was the idea of risk important conditions and that you're not necessarily going to go back and look at every single risk important action to say i'm ready to take the critical step but what are the conditions it should have created to create the safety so when i take that action i know that the outcome is going to be what i expect not right. some unknown uh, or with some potential um and those conditions may have multitudes of risk important actions but you only check in one condition you're not going back and checking hundreds of potential actions uh yeah. and and i thought that 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 moment in time i thought wow i walked away learning something out of our <laughs> debate and discussion and uh, i i'm pretty sure tony brought this one up and we decided to put it in i don't know tony did you get that out of some training you had done and it made you think about it. I forget where you came up with the idea. Well, the, the question the question I always ask my clients is what must be true in order to perform a specific action without without consequence? What are the conditions that have to be set before you perform the, the critical act? It's like jumping out of an airplane. I mean, what must be true before you, you do skydiving? You gotta have a parachute on. Yeah. You gotta have a parachute that's been packed correctly. And you know how to deploy it. <laughs> That's right. You, you know where the pool quarters. <laughs> <laughs> so all those things, and plus you got to have it secured around your body. So there's a number of things that have to be set before you jump across that open door of the aircraft. Yeah, and, and what I like is that effectively the way the language I used is that you, you're creating what I call a risk rationale for workers. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a good example where you've recognized that um, there's a difference between how the organization views something versus how workers view something. Oh, yeah. And that you're trying to really support workers 
in making those good outcomes, or creating those good outcomes through that sort of reflective practice where you're trying to get them to think about the present, not the past. Mm -hmm. And and, and I think, yeah. I was going to add, uh, you know, going back to Ron, you know, Ron made a, a mention that t- some, sometimes people call too many things critical steps. Yeah. And and it's, I go back to the example, well, you need a hard hat on, you may need uh, eye protection or gloves on because there's pinch points. Yeah, those, those are the conditions that need to be created before you do the work. But, but uh, and we, those are what we call the risk important action, but putting on the gloves, putting on the, the, the eye protection, those are the risk important actions, all right, to create those conditions. But, uh, but people used to, would, uh, especially frontline workers would call those critical steps. They just did, really didn't understand. I can always, it's like going back to the firearms in the, uh, analogy. You know, it's everybody who watches any kind of movies, you know, Hollywood movies, you know, have seen people shoot firearms, you know, handguns, you know, whatever. And, and the critical step is always pull the trigger. You know, pulling the trigger is the critical step. Well, what are those risk important conditions? A cartridge in the chamber, hammers pulled back, the finger inside the trigger guard, uh, Go on, but I can always unload the, the gun. I can always put the safety on. I can always point the uh, the muzzle uh, away from from a target. Those are all risk important action uh, conditions, and I can undo those. They're reversible, but a critical step is irreversible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it leads it leads on for that. Um, we, I, I, I'm, we're we're just finalising a new white paper with Todd Conklin at the moment about everyday learning as part of extension of learning teams. And, you know, Todd coined that phrase, sticky, you know, stuff sticky. that can kill you. And, and you know, when we've been engaging with workers, we have a thing called STRM, stuff that really matters. Yeah. <laughs> and, and workers can tell you about the stuff that really matters. And no, no surprising. I've heard it used differently, but it's the same, same acronym. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, but no, no, no surprise that what the workers think and what the organization thinks is different. Yeah. So a, a, a neat aspect that goes right along with this conversation, um, it's pretty common for high risk industry to have uh, a risk register these days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the reason they do it is, is for um, uh, board review. They do it for mm-hmm. organizational alignment, etc. But there's a, a bit of a, a dichotomy and it's been brought about by substantial uh, regulation, uh, peer pressure, uh, seeking excellence. And, and to go back to Ron's point, um, lots of things are important and the tendency is to add to that list. If we can do this well, well, we should be able to do that well too. Uh, one of the things that this type of thinking does is it gives the uh, the corporation a way to bridge that dichotomy gap there between the risk register, which is on purpose, actually very short, and the number of things that they put a lot of resources into managing. Because when you have that hierarchy, you know what the critical steps are, and you can see that they will align with the risk registers. 
mm-hmm. you can now start de-emphasizing some some things that you may be in fact spending a lot of resources on because you you now are aligning the critical steps the risk register with the practices in the field well i so, think it makes the the ability uh, we call efficacy of controls so so the ability to go out and check for the presence mm-hmm. of controls and mitigations that makes it much stronger yes mm-hmm. i think that's what you're really saying because i always say to people that you're you're, you're either your mitigations or your controls your barriers whatever whatever language we use you're either trying to to manage that release of energy that you talked about ron you know things getting out or you're trying to influence the person who to be honest is is actually um the the only person who is exposed to residual risk mm-hmm because if you think about it, whatever risk remains, that's what the worker faces, not the organisation. Right. right, right. And and when we think about the efficacy of those controls, we're really trying to say, well, how, what is that presence of capacity around managing that release of energy? And what is that, and I think we use this term, what is the resilience of the person existing in the system trying to deal with that residual risk? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that sort of resonates well with you guys. Yeah, well, that's that's consistent with the idea of risk important conditions. You know, what must be present so you can do this work without 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 uh, injury or harm, and still accomplish your organization's goals. And conversely, what do you now pay less attention to because it's not mm-hmm. useful in this situation? Bandwidth. And the, the clarity of action is really benefit. Thank you, listeners, for being part of this podcast. We would love to hear your learnings or other topics you would like us to explore about learning teams. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and give us your feedback. Become part of the community of practice with learning teams. Go to www.learningteamscommunity.com. Support the authors of the practice of learning teams. Purchase the book from Amazon.com or go to www.learningteamsbook.com for an inside look and other free book resources from the authors. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.